welcome back to State of Mind. I'm Grace Kingswell and I'm a nutritional therapist and lifestyle medicine advocate. This second series of my podcast is themed around the concept of sustainability, which is one extremely close to my heart. And I'm talking about how we can use this idea of taking something and making it work long term, i.e. making it sustainable, into different areas of our lives. How do you train sustainably? What does a sustainable mental state look like? Can we do feminism sustainably? And today, boy oh boy, do I have an episode for you. Of course, the concept of sustainability at the moment is broadly taken in the environmental sense and encompasses pretty much everything from remembering to carry your keep cup to deforestation, the plight of our marine life and top tier governmental policy, of which we're not really seeing enough of, but that's a topic for another conversation. Today, I am talking to Ian Rowlands. Ian is the director of Incredible Oceans, an organization that uses the arts, science, education, and incredible events to shed light on the desperate state of our oceans. He is a journalist, conservationist, scientist, wildlife tracker, festival organizer, charity founder, arts lover, environmental activist, and a wild soul. He's tracked down bears, birds, and blue whales from the Arctic to the Antarctic, Asia, and the Amazon and along the way explored spirit, shamanism, coaching and communication. He's passionate about us humans needing to reconnect with our living world and some of the things he tells me in this episode literally blow my mind. I really hope you enjoy it. Here is Ian on State of Mind. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so the first question I always ask people and the way I like to open the pod is by asking you what the last thing you did um, that positively impacted your health was. Hmm. Um, I do lots of interesting things, meditation and shamanic work, but I'm going to say being on holiday. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just back from holiday and um, spent some time in Sicily, which was Lovely. very wonderful and warm, uh, even here in May. Um, but I've been back from Copenhagen and I really like the approach in Copenhagen, the relaxed approach to life and environment and safety and the openness. So yeah, it was actually a very rewarding, invigorating place to be. I feel much better for having had yeah. some time there. Just rejuvenates you, yeah, doesn't exactly. it? And you come yeah. back to everyday life with a sort of new perspective. And yeah, I, I guess maybe like a lot of us, I never really switch off. It's like the, the work that I do in my life, it's all intertwined. So you never stop thinking. Mm. Mm. So it's really good to find ways to stop thinking. Excellent. I guess that's a mission really, isn't it, for all yeah. of us. Yeah. So going into the work that you do then, can you tell us about Incredible Oceans, what it is, how it started um, and why why you're doing what you're doing, basically? It's about oceans, but it's about our relationship, I think, to the creatures we share the planet with and ourselves. So the little bit of backstory is that we began, I get it kind of from my interest in whales and dolphins as a kid. Mm. Yeah, yeah, let's start there. Yeah, so um, going to the Natural History Museum in South Kensington, seeing that large model of the blue whale, age six on a birthday treat to go there and thinking, now that's something I could get into. And as a little Essex kid, that seemed implausible. So many years later, trying to fabricate, I trained as a journalist, actually, but trying to get back to what that passion was. Like we go through those points in our life where we get a career and then we realize we're not passionate about it anymore. I wanted to get back to what I was passionate about. And 
I actually had some life coaching at that point because I could not see how I could work with whales and dolphins in any meaningful conservation way, having no experience mm. and no nothing to offer. Um, and it was a wonderful confidence boost because I kind of took the plunge, I suppose, and said, I can... I can carve out a niche together with some colleagues for ourselves. So we, this sounds ludicrous when I tell the story back, but we launched a website to try and bring the whale and dolphin world together. And and then we started running whale festivals. Uh, I was living in Brighton at the time. And you think a whale festival in Brighton seems crazy, but it was there was nothing like it in the UK at that point, like a conference and a gathering and a bringing together of people who were protecting whales and dolphins, taking people on boat trips to watch whales and dolphins. And and we just bigged it up. It, it kind of mm-hmm. got enough people to come in year one. Amazing. Um, and then it grew and grew and grew. So by the time we'd run our most recent whale fest, we'd had 15,000 people in big venues. And it was having an impact. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a long-winded way of talking about incredible oceans. But what happened was off the back of the festival, lots of organizations who previously didn't work together started to consider working together so my business partner at the time Dylan he went off in a direction of let's channel all those people and make a formal alliance a partnership of the 350 marine organizations around the world that don't work together Mm -hmm. and I went off on the direction of events and festivals and reconnecting a broader audience by using charismatic marine creatures to get to think about environmental issues Mm. I think that's pretty in a nutshell, I yeah. guess. So today, um, Incredible Oceans is an organisation that promotes ed- the education around our oceans, but through the arts, mm-hmm. um, music, storytelling. And am I right in thinking that there's a huge focus on educating our younger generations? Yeah, and I think that's that's how it began. And then we realised actually that the... the passion that young people have for the ocean is actually really easy to tap into adults as well Mm. so the activities that we'd run at a festival you could see hundreds thousands of adults wanting to do them as well but they couldn't get past the kids (laughs) um (laughs) so so really what i was interested in and i say i'm speaking like it's me Mm. and what we're lucky is that we have a huge volunteer force they probably just needed somebody crazy at the head of it to say we can make this work and take the risks. But we have 900 volunteers on our database. So this is a gr- great team effort. Yeah. So I wanted to take my passion for how do we reach people who don't think they're interested in this subject? So how can we do it through the medium of art or the medium of music or those people that love debate and facts, but those people who want emotion and sensitivity? So we look for all the roots in that might intrigue people and fascinate them. I guess it's kind of like, you know, you watch the BBC Blue Planet series. Mm. It has that mix of awe and wonder, scientific fact. Tugs on your heart. Exactly, sheer beauty. Mm. It's a work of art, really, mm. with that, you know, Hans Zimmer soundtrack. So I, I'm looking for ways that we can pull in people of all sorts of different values who don't think they care about the planet, ecology, mm. those words that turn them off. Mm. And and put on events, festivals, education, um, pop-ups, work with partners. With the end goal being to make more people care about our planet, presumably, and and the the life and lifespan of all of our ocean creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're all inextricably linked. 
Yes. You, me, everyone else we and know. And the whales. Oh, the whales, the other creatures, the the plankton, the the, the air that we're breathing coming yeah. from the ocean. Yeah. Can you elaborate on the, the plankton thing? Because I read something quite recently about how we are... Like, we don't think we're dependent on plankton, but we are 100% dependent on plankton. And for those listening, can you explain why that might be? So, yeah, that's fa- I mean, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because uh, if you go back to, say, a blue whale, that mm. thing in the Natural History Museum, and it's it's surviving, living off the tiniest of creatures. Mm. And that's true for us, too. So there's a great engine in the ocean, which is phytoplankton, which are plant-based, and zooplankton, which are animal-based. And they are producing well you know i always do this thing where i say so take a take a deep breath okay and then release the breath and now do the same thing again and the first breath comes to us courtesy of the rainforests and the trees and the second breath comes to us courtesy of the plankton okay so the ocean is producing oxygen that sustains life on the planet it may even be more than 50%. Some scientists wow. dispute the precise amount. But basically, without the ocean, we wouldn't be breathing. And, of course, then there's all the other aspects without moisture, weather, you know, the materials that build life. Mm. Um, but I love that one about plankton being so fundamental. And, of course, they're under great threat. Yeah. You know, it, it's We're changing the acidification of the ocean through... Um, through the carbon, sorry, this is perhaps mm. too much detail. No, but, no, you know, this is great. But, but we are, the things that we're doing on land, Yeah. we know it's putting more carbon into the atmosphere. Yeah. So we kind of have this I, let's make it an I statement. I have this thing about, I can't really imagine where that's going, that carbon. Mm. So we know that trees are breathing in some of it through carbon dioxide and some of it's going into the upper atmosphere. But you forget that a, tons of it, tons and tons of the carbon is being drawn down into the sea. Right. So it's actually... The, the ocean is like a big lung. It's absorbing carbon, which sinks into the ocean. But as the carbon goes into the ocean, it's changing the alkaline to acidic balance of the ocean. And it sounds like too much science, but you imagine corals built of chalk, mm. which is alkaline. All alkaline, those things, yeah. as the ocean gets more acidic, mm. it can't make those things anymore. It mm. can't breathe properly anymore. Mm. It can't function and support life. And as the ocean becomes more acidic, a scientist told me this really cool thing recently that we worked with, which was um, due to ocean acidification, fish become more shy. No way. <laughs> so fish that are in the reef yeah. change their behaviour. The acid is affecting their brain chemistry and they become less confident about leaving the little holes in the reef. Yeah. So they breed less or they get more confused easily or they wander. A whole bunch of consequences mm. or they don't feed so well and they have fewer offspring. And you think, that's crazy isn't it but i love the fact that we using art get to work with scientists who are learning this astonishing Mm. thing and then you want to find a really inventive way to present that to people so that instead of thinking yawn i don't want to hear about ocean acidification even Mm. those words turn me Mm. off you start to sulk about the impact it'll have on a little fish yeah so you like and then it makes sense so for kids you can liken it to you know finding dory yeah but for adults you can talk about the wonder of the blue planet the things they've seen and how it's impacting them so that's so interesting because we can kind of see that being mirrored in our health as humans as well because obviously the life cells that we lead today um from my point of view as a nutritionist we're incredible we're doing things that are causing our bodies to become more acidic too and it's just really interesting how there's that parallel in that in nature we are all so connected yeah 
and particularly through our diet, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly, diet through huge, our diet, yeah. Uh, acidification of us yeah. internally and, and yeah. the joints between our, our bones. Yeah, it's, I find it really interesting because the, the ocean has this power for most people. You know, the, I love the fact that Switzerland has the highest percentage number of whale and dolphin charities of any country in the world, but it's got no ocean. Mm. And you think, why would that be? And it's because the... the the symbolism that goes with those creatures, the power of the ocean touches people. So you're talking about spiritual and mental well-being that goes. Why do we all rush to the sea? And what's the thing most people do when they get to the sea? They just stare at it. Yeah, Maybe totally. throw a stone in it. But basically, you, you kind of just want to sit and gaze at the ocean. Mm. And most people's whole holiday is based around mm. laying somewhere so you can look at the sea. Yeah, even going back in history where we all used to go down to the, the coast in England and kind of take the waters and stuff. It was all... Yeah. I mean, in my personal experience, I think the reason I'm so interested in talking about sustainability and why I'm so happy to have you on is that I think everyone has a different story when it comes to the ocean. And for me personally, like you were saying, it's been a huge journey of... I mean, I've always loved swimming, but I, found, I find water incredibly healing for... Mm-hmm not only mental health, but kind of physically as well. And when you look at things like chakra healing, um, your sacral chakra, which is which is here in, mm-hmm. your, in your stomach, which is your, uh, responsible for your creativity, um, the way to heal that is through immersion in water. <laughs> so it's like this amazing, like cyclical process. And um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about something that I read on your website um, to do with these audiences. You say that... Um, you're you're not preaching to an audience or you don't want to preach to an audience that is self-selecting. And I thought that idea was really interesting because surely this has got to be the future of conservation and the way to encourage more people to start talking, to start taking responsibility for the world around them is to engage with audiences that aren't self-selecting. So it's all all very easy now in London to, I mean, I mean every everyone's walking around with, with their reusable water bottle and everyone's doing this and doing that, but we really need to engage with the people that aren't taking responsibility. And I just wanted to ask you how Incredible Oceans goes about attracting those types of people and how you're making an impact with those audiences. I think it's really it's really astute of you to pick up on that because I can see, I use that phrase, you know, you use phrases sometimes and you're so used mm. to using them, you forget people might not click with it. Mm. And self-selecting audiences is one of those phrases I often use because yeah. it's like a shorthand for me on... The shorthand for me is I look out the window at a pub or th- and look at all the people walking up down the street and think, how would I get them interested in Exactly. In it's this? like, how do you get the person yeah. that litters on the street yeah. to to engage with the fact that they just did that? And So I'll give you... Uh, there's kind of two examples. That might be because I'm wrestling with the question a bit. I wish there was an easy answer mm. to that. So so one was um, we, we got given a... Uh, an event to do on behalf of the Institute of Physics. Okay. And they said, would you go to uh, Liverpool International Music Festival and go and address an audience and talk about physics? Um, which seemed like a challenge on every level, and not least because I didn't know what the International Liverpool International Music Festival was. Mm. And when I looked it up, I realised it was basically going to be teenage girls and banging tunes. It was right. DJ, five stages with DJs yeah. and sets. And I was thinking, how am I going to? How are we going to do this? Yeah, and and I went into it in a really glum state of mind. We have this pop-up inflatable dome that's decorated with uh, Victorian-style marine creatures. We've got inflatable whales and things that we take with us. We have lots of artifacts, but uh, I thought it's going to be a huge challenge. And um, and I guess because we're working with 
an intrinsically odd subject. Mm. Whales, dolphins, uh, octopuses, squid, the ocean. Actually, a lot of those girls came and queued to see what was going on inside that dome. Mm. We've got some really inventive scientists who were using, um, I don't know, the acoustics of a sperm whale to talk about how sound propagates in the ocean. Or we were looking at what um, jellyfish are made of that enables them to survive intense pressure. And, of course, they're doing all these really cool experiments with showing what happens to a polystyrene cup when you take it to the bottom of the ocean and what yeah. it's crushed down to. What Can you tell us what happens? <laughs> what happens to that cup? A polystyrene cup, if you're in just a, a regular um, pressured container mm. so that humans can survive yeah. in, polystyrene cup anyway is so affected by the pressure we our body is full of water mm. as you know as a swimmer so we resist pressure pretty well actually yeah. or we can balance out the pressure when we scuba dive but this polystyrene cup doesn't have that ability because mm. it's hollow so it, it basically shrinks down to an incredibly miniature version of itself so you end up with a kind of cup that barbie would use you know? right. <laughs> um, and it started off as a full-size starbucks style polystyrene yeah. cup so that stuff really intrigued these girls. And we just had, and I'm going to be perjurative here and a bit rude about the audience, but it reflects on my prejudices, not them, is there's this queue of teenage girls, 13, 14, up to 17, with fake tans and shorts, come for the tunes, mm. are lined up thinking, I hated physics at school, this is really interesting. And they wanted to, the Institute of Physics logo is an IOP. Mm. And I looked at the dome we'd set up and there's a queue of young girls holding 10 pence pieces to pay to come in. I'm like, what's going on there? And they thought that IOP meant 10p. Right. And, but it just demonstrated <laughs> to me they were willing to pay to come in Yeah. to, to learn about that stuff. So that is a, a slightly crass example of what we, what we do. Mm. Um, so I like that example. But the broader stuff is to do, I think, with people's values. So we're working with um, a behavioural scientist, uh, a neuroscientist um, called Chris de Meyer, uh, a Belgian expert at um, King's College London, produced a very interesting documentary movie called uh, Right Between the Ears. I recommend you check it out, which was what, how is it that the people, this, this, this is the movie he made, is people that believe the end of the world is coming and then are unshakable in their belief that it's coming and that the rest of us have got it wrong. Mm -hmm. Those cults. Mm. And they filmed this particular cult around the rapture in America right the way through from them all believing it was going to happen to then when it didn't happen and then when another date was predicted when it would happen and then when it didn't happen again. And they were willing to be filmed because they said, sure, you can film us because... They were so certain. Yeah, it's the end of the world's coming, so you know, nobody will ever see the movie. And it's a fascinating account of how once we get an idea in our heads, no amount of facts generally will shift... Yeah. A perspective that we have. And Chris has done a lot of work with us, training scientists to present their work in a values way. And I guess, you know, I'm looking for an easy, glib example of this, but those people that perhaps like you and I, we categorize as pioneers. Mm. We're kind of liberal, advanced thinking. We're mm. on the edge of early adapters. early adapters. Then there's the prospectors who are perhaps a little bit more motivated by um, wealth, material possessions, appearance. Uh, this is a very glib demonstration. This, there's settlers who would be the people who are looking for safety and security. And, and broadly speaking, a whole country can be in that state or an individual mm -hmm. could move from one state to another. But you've got these different categories of people and their values. And we have to find ways 
are presenting our work so that we are speaking a language they recognize. I mean, one example will be the very phrase for a while, climate change, mm. would switch off anybody in that settler category. Yeah. They it's almost like when you said it too many times. Yeah. It, like, you know, yeah. when you say a word over and over again and then it suddenly sounds really strange to you. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So so we've, I've been learning a lot about that. It really fascinates me the way that we reach yeah. out to people that are not our natural tribe. It's so much easier to do that is to speak to people that we feel comfortable with. Mm. They understand our language. And we all feel good. You know, Whalefest, yeah. this big event that we ran, was broadly speaking full of people who loved coming because it was their great get-together. 15,000 people who loved mm. the ocean mm. all got to feel good and be bolstered a bit yeah. amongst their companions. Yeah. And it was a wonderful thing to run. But I began to realise it's a self-selecting audience. Yeah. How do we reach the people who would never walk in through the door of a whale festival? Yeah. This ties in really nicely with um, a recent episode of, of the podcast with um, an ethnographer called Dr. Adam Gill. Um, and he uses the study of human behaviour to help brands in the health and wellness sector to understand their their customers more. Mm. And I asked him whether we can use ethnographic techniques, that is, the knowledge of why humans are a certain way and why we do certain things um, to positively impact environmental change. And his answer had a lot to do with community and how, because we've lost to a large extent our sense of community and we're all leading very disparate lives, we care much less about the environment around us. And I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, does the most impactful environmental change come from the community and the grassroots level or does it need to come from a governmental policy top tier level? I I always always want it to be top tier level because I'm very impatient. Mm, yeah, I'm very impatient. I want the solution. You know, I know what the solutions are. I mean, if you talk about climate, you know, we, we know what to do. Mm. For goodness' sake, let's just do it and, and bring in the laws that will make that happen. And and I want to reach the maximum number of people and impact it. But sadly, I think for me, I think community is the way to do it and it is at a grassroots level because it's then fixed it's stuck it's bonded to you um my example would be i was shockingly bad younger in life at recycling Mm. like really lectured by friends who were doing it and that didn't go down with me well at all and i don't know how i would have responded to big government telling me to do it i'm i it would have been the right thing i but i might not have Mm. i might felt what was it that changed the way you were? Yeah, I, I came to it. My it was it was that sort of slow grassroots education. Yeah. It was somebody planting a thought in my head about something I did, mm. and I think that was to do with um, actually being out in nature and people encouraging me to pick up litter. Mm. I was working on a nature reserve at the time, and I hated that job picking up litter. But you began to think about your own litter that you were making, mm. and then began to think about where's it going, and it made me a lot more critical of myself and my own behavior mm. it's such a slow process I, I despair that we haven't got time for that yeah but i do feel that we need to find ways to reach everybody where they're at where they live with the things that they might be listening to people that they might respond to or a set of values that mean something to them yeah So in your everyday life then, do you tell us about your everyday, you kind of zero waste, you know, no plastic in your home? Do you uh, offset your carbon footprint when you fly? All that stuff. I try to do all those things. And I definitely, um, perfectly imperfect, I think is the phrase, isn't it? Um, I, 
I think it's the awareness. It's really interesting. I've only just switched to um, a deodorant stick that's got no plastic, for example, in it. And and I think each time I take one of those steps, it feels important to me. Mm. And that's that's what I see in my own life. Um, and I think I've become much less good at lecturing people about how to behave. Mm when I think how much further I've got to go in my own life. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's yeah. And I think also, like you were saying earlier, the most um, sustaining way we can impact that change is if people come to it themselves and do it themselves. Yeah. Um, just as an example with my friends, I'm really passionate about slow fashion over fast fashion. Mm. And I am always trying to kind of tell my girlfriends, like, do, do you need to buy that? Or, but it, it you have to kind of place your message very carefully because you don't want to alienate people or offend people and say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, It's more, how do I just gently nudge you in, in a different direction? But I wanted to ask you in terms of everyday practices, mm -hmm. um, what's the most impactful thing that we can all do on a personal level? Is it to ban you know plastic bags is it to learn how to recycle properly is it to use less water etc etc um i see i really like the water bottle one mm. and, and i think because it's it's generally massively inconvenient to carry a water bottle yeah. around. how do you feel these days when you see someone because if i see someone walking in the street now i almost have to stop myself if they've got like a you know just a plastic bottle mm -hmm. of water i have to say yeah. you know like, don't you know where that's going to go? Like, what are you going to do with that yeah. plastic bottle? Like, yeah. What do you think you're doing? But you can't. It's well, I mean, you, you could. <laughs> it's, but. it's a really powerful symbol, and that's why I like the water bottle. And it's it's not the panacea for everything. It is, mm. but it's like it just it's a trigger in our own heads, isn't mm. it? It's, it's like, a first step. It's a it's a first step, but it, it it signifies that if we're willing to cart this thing around and look for places to refill it, mm. then we are. We within, can do more. Yeah, and we're starting to think about everything. And I, like you, I, I actually got I, I got interviewed by a film crew who wanted to talk about plastics in tourism. And uh, they lined up to be filmed on the London Eye. Hmm. And I refused to go on the London Eye and talk about plastics because at that time it was sponsored by Coca-Cola. Right. You know, one of the biggest. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's an organisation. You cannot be ignorant of the issue around plastics now. No. You know, and the father of the nation, Sir David Attenborough, has pointed it out to everybody. Yeah. The ocean is full of plastic bottles and they're arriving there from land. Like most plastics arrive in the ocean from the from stuff land. that we drop in the gutter. Yeah. Um, so you can't be ignorant of that issue anymore. And Coca-Cola can't be issue, ignorant mm. of that. And nobody in the street can be. So it's, uh, I refuse to be interviewed on, on, on the Although it would have been great. I wish they'd interviewed me and then I'd, they'd have edited it out. I could have yeah. said my bit about coke and plastic bottles you know um, but so that sounds trite but i do think that um it's so it's so old school isn't it really you know i i'm i'm kind of older than you and i grew up with my parents reusing stuff mm. carrying thermos flasks yeah, around yeah, yeah. That's or what bottles we need. of water and it's like and it's it feels very inconvenient to us mm. now to have to carry i mean i came to visit you today and i i thought do i put the reusable coffee cup in and the water bottle and you think well, of course I do because mm. I'm gonna I might need them yeah but and actually I quite enjoy packing my little tote bag of <laughs> things that I might need now when I go out yeah. and I feel really virtuous about the fact that I'm doing that and um 
it's really aggravating when you get caught out <laughs> when you haven't got what you need. That's and... right, because you you're being judged by everybody else. Yeah, I'm just and judging I, myself. And, and really. going back to what you said earlier, because I thought it was a really good point. The bit that I really love is when people you don't expect are adopting these practices yeah. or parrot it back at you yeah. or are doing stuff even further down the line than you've got to yourself. And and instead of instead of feeling resentful of that, I just love it when some, particularly, I don't know, you know, somebody in their 30s who's had no interest in the environment, then you discover that they've either contemplated being vegetarian or vegan or mm. carrying a bottle around or just taking steps. Thinking, I never would have guessed that mm. person would do that. And 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 I am fascinated by the process at which they arrived at that and mm. which influencer, what thing yeah. triggered that in them. And if we can find that magic bullet, whether it's community, responsibility, uh, it was appealing to their sense of vanity, mm. whatever that is, I, I, I want to find those triggers because yeah. they're really important to us. I want to ask you about Siren Festival, mm -hmm. um, which is come looming on the horizon Um <laughs> takes place uh, down in Suffolk but can you fill us in on this so this is the latest project from Incredible Oceans yeah I, I, and I, I'll this is my uh, fess up honest bit here after running Whale Fest for a number of years I kind of and it became quite a big undertaking and mm. we had very celebrity speakers it was uh, huge screens to show HD footage of BBC Blue Planet and uh, the scale of it was daunting I just needed to break from it. Mm. And what has kind of redriven my mojo to start thinking about running our own events again is being, and I'll be honest, being totally inspired by young people today on the streets on climate. Yeah. The school strikes for climate and Extinction Rebellion. And it's like, I'm particularly interested, how do we support young people who I know as an ex-journalist are going to be sniped at by journalists beaten down by politicians, have their idealism eroded away, mm -hmm. face obstacles from their parents, and perhaps they haven't got the skills or the confidence, a lot of young people, to take that mission forward. So with Siren Festival, I wanted to put something together that was community-based. I've got dreams of where this might go eventually, but let's folk, I'm terrible yeah. at running before we walk. But a festival which is delivered by and for young people in particular, in, in on the east coast of Suffolk, but one where we harness that fascination we have with the marine environment. So siren as in siren voices of mermaids in, in the sea and the siren creatures, but also siren warning us, alerting yeah, yeah. us and using what's happening in the ocean. The most obvious symbol would be plastics that we're putting in the ocean, but it could be acidification and it certainly can be climate change. What can we use as a siren warning to alert everyone else and find different routes in to whether it's young people or adults who come to the festival to mm. start to take these issues more seriously and take steps. The bit I'm really excited about is we're going to run workshops where we upskill young people okay. so that they can learn about um, public speaking, uh, blogging, vlogging, filmmaking, um, organising themselves, the skills which I think people are willing to offer for free experts in the field yeah but we'll tool up young people to make sure they've got the skills to take this forward mm. and be taken seriously yeah uh, when they get to meet politicians or they want to uh, activating them i guess is the phrase i'm mm. searching for but the festival will have all the traditional routes in we're going to have um music comedy performance in amongst um 
all our dozens of inflatable whale creatures and artifacts and bones and whale baleen and things and yeah. pop-up science experiments. So I want to marry art and science together, put on an event that um, brings in an audience of maybe young people who don't feel very empowered. Yeah. And, then, uh, you know, I, I, we're running this in Aubrey in East Suffolk where, you know, there's actually a lot of rural kids there with no access to having their own voices listened to. So that's the bit that excites me about it. Fantastic. A long-winded answer to your question, but that's no. And for anyone that wants to come, um, we'll put all the information. Thank you. Of Siren Festival in the show notes. Um, is it a ticketed thing, or you just rock up and rock up? So the festival itself is free. Uh, yeah. Sirencalling.org is the domain name. Um, but there'll be evening performances that will be ticketed, and yeah. um, we're going to put on. Uh, ocean themed silent disco we're going to cool. put on bands playing we're going to have like cabaret style review um the, the last night of our festival coincides with a screening by opera cinema of jaws on the beach okay so the second the, th- the third day of the festival will be very much sort of shark themed yeah uh, with lots of information about sharks so but yeah people can rock up and uh and this we hope is the beginning not just of a festival which i'm very proud of but i want it to be more workshops making space siren presenting some of these young people more opportunities to get Mm. on stage bands to perform uh, artists to create and and of course i'm very excited that we're working with some fabulous local artists yeah Uh, roger hardy is creating the most uh, inspiring beach installation which i can't sworn to secrecy and can't tell you much about but it's sort of um it's a privilege to be working with really talented people yeah. who have got all these incredibly inventive ways to reach out to an audience and reach their artistic sensibility or their emotional sensibility or their spiritual mm. sensitivity. And so I want to have that mixture of science, but also meditation on the beach and greet, greet the dawn each day down oh, by the ocean. Oh, sounds fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot in it, a lot I want to include yeah. and, and big dreams. So this Amazing. is just the start. Yeah. So just before we get on to my final three questions, which I ask all my guests, can you leave us with something really profound, something that really struck you along this journey that hopefully to someone listening that's not quite this way aligned yet will really help them to see how big of an issue climate change and the impact to our oceans really is it's a big question yeah it is a big question um and it's in danger of depressing me because the scale Mm. of the the scale of the problem you can only really go into battle on this willing to acknowledge the odds are great Mm. against us how do you how do you do deal it, with it? that on a day to day basis? Because you mentioned meditation and stuff, mm. is that part of the way that you keep yourself going? <laughs> I, think, I think that's true. There's actually uh, there's a lot of um, both science and um, spiritual well being around this. There there are there are some really interesting books out there on how how do we sustain ourselves mm. emotionally, intellectually, spiritually against the odds when yeah. you know it can, it can be a very depressing experience so the the rate of extinctions is the thing that's the profound one okay. you know, we we are losing creatures on the planet if you could see it happen you know we would be shocked because there would be an insect next to you or a, a bird or an animal and it, and it would vanish i wish there was some way that we could because we're such visual creatures yeah. instead of statistics but the the rate of loss of biodiversity the creatures that we share the planet with is is on a horrific scale and, and so that's the profound thing that 
from that innocent kid of six years old mm. with the blue whale and the optimism of seeing whale populations recover, uh, particularly, you know, the great protests of the 1970s, 80s, save the whale, the kind of ban on whaling. It's not wholesale, but it's sort of held in place. Okay. And But then you know that what we're going to do with the loss of all the other creatures, particularly the small ones, mm. is now going to make those big creatures they'll have an inability to survive. So so that's the profound bit. But the positive profound bit for me is, um, and that's my, my maybe my big life lesson really, is the power of people to get together. Mm. And I I think the thing that, that I've learned along this journey was that somehow hundreds, thousands of volunteers have been attracted to take part in this and give so much freely and willingly of their time and expertise and effort that, there's a huge human potential to do good, yeah. to work together. And in an age when we're convinced the whole time that people are not altruistic, that people don't want to work in community and band together, and that we're all individuals fighting for survival in tough times, that I take greatest heart from. That's been the most profound thing is to... It's the thing that gives me the lump in the throat. When you're trying to achieve something, you think, I have no idea how we're going to do this. Mm. And then somebody steps up and says, I can do that. Yeah, I can Or help. I love doing that. Mm. And it's it still gets me every time. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, and to finish, um, what's one thing in life that you would do again if you could? It's <laughs> such an interesting question because it's like uh, I think of all the big decisions I made. I definitely handle relationships better than I've done in the past. Yeah. But it's a whole different podcast, that one. Um, I think... I, I thought about it and thought self-belief, actually. So early on in life, and maybe this is my motivation behind kids around siren, siren calling, is that it took me until my um, 40s. Um, I'd sold a business and I'd been working as a journalist and I had convinced myself at that stage that that there was nothing to look forward to, that I couldn't make a difference or make an impact. And and it took me getting off my backside and having some life coaching, actually, to reinstill in me mm. some self-belief that there is nothing stopping me doing what I want to do other than there's those gremlin voices that we hear in our head. And that had persuaded me that I was too old, didn't have enough skills, it was too late, uh, you couldn't make a difference. So I I would have gone to my younger self and said, there is nothing stopping you doing mm. anything you want to do. Mm. And it's such a trite phrase, but I think it's it's something I wish some wise mentor had said yeah. to me younger Earlier. when I I didn't think I was capable of doing things. Mm. And okay. I think we all need that. Yeah. I suppose that could be the same answer for, for my next question, which is what's one thing you would change if you could? Oh, well, yeah, because I'm a ridiculous dreamer. So I've, I've got a much bigger answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> so I, um, I'm really deep down with all the stuff we've talked about so far. The bit that really interests me is our relationship with uh, the creatures that we share the planet with. And that can be from the big and the small. Well, so you wish you could talk to them. I, I wish that. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, that's a really good one, actually. I do. I am very interested in animal communication as it happens, but that's uh, that's something different. But I I would love that everybody felt that same powerful interrelatedness. Yeah. And I don't just mean from a scientific point of view. Yes, we're organisms connected to make the planet function, but I think there's um, 
there's a spiritual and emotional connection that we all share mm. as from big to small, that everything is conscious and alive and we should find a way to relate to it. So if I, if I could wave this wand or be this deity, like God figure, uh, changing the way the world works. Amazing. That would be my ridiculous dream, would be that we understand that we are all related to everything yeah. on every level. Okay. And finally, the podcast is called State of Mind. What does state of mind mean to you? Hmm. And I think it's it's probably I'm, I'm trapping, I'm standing on, standing on territory we've already talked about. Mm. It is that I I look at interconnectedness. Yeah, and I look at people that I meet and I try and work out where they are in their head. Mm. What it, what is their state of mind? You know, and that can be you know, are they sustained by some. Um, understanding of their own consciousness and their spirituality or are they not or they believe that we're here and gone and just some other little organism we don't need to, to care about the future I, i'm interested in philosophically where people's state of mind is at and i you, you put it really beautifully it's like that person that has got the single use water bottle or mm. the other thing it, it there'll be Where's lots of things yeah there's the things that i'm probably doing in my life right now that one day we'll look back on a thing can't believe we didn't realize how damaging that is mm. and i accept that but we know the things that are damaging now and people are still doing them mm. and that to me is that is that state of mind where are you at in your consciousness on the things that nourish your being the things that sustain your relationship with everything else living on the planet and and so it's a really great title for a podcast i like thanks. it thanks um, thank you so much, Ian, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think that's a good point to end things. Thanks very much for having me. Well, thank you again for tuning in to State of Mind. If you're new here, I would love you to subscribe and most importantly, leave a review on the podcast app as that's how the pod can gain traction and hopefully get heard by more people. You can find me at Grace Kingswell on Instagram and online at gracekingswell.com. And please, please check out incredibleoceans.org and get involved. <laughs>